Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the Old Testament book of Judges. The Old Testament book of Judges. And we'll be looking at Judges 13 through 15. Judges 13 through 15. Not a thousand years ago or a million miles away, I had a friend who was as wild as a March hare. He hardly ever missed Friday night beer bash down at the river after the football games. He had a super hot Plymouth Roadrunner that he would race for pink slips. From time to time, he popped pills, he smoked weed, he loved the ladies, and he loved to fight. There was another side to my friend. He made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized before I ever knew him. And while I knew him, he was in church almost every Sunday, even sang in the church choir. He would talk to people about Jesus from time to time and would even invite people to church. I asked him a couple of times about the contradictions in his life, the way he lived. He would often change the subject rather quickly, or sometimes he would just shrug his shoulders and not say anything at all. Samson was a lot like my friend. He's arguably the most popular of the judges of the Old Testament. He was dedicated to God as a baby, but for the most part, he lived a godless life. He was gifted with incredible strength, but he flaunted that gift for his own glory. He hated the Philistines. But he didn't love the Lord God. Samson was both impulsive and compulsive. He was arrogant, adventurous, lustful, violent, and fiercely independent. He was physically strong, but spiritually and morally weak. In my mind, he was Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson all rolled into one. And yet, Samson is included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Samson 
was indeed a walking enigma. In Judges chapter 13, follow along as I read. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Israel was caught up in this cycle of weak faith, and you have the graph of that cycle there in your sermon notes. Israel had fallen away from the Lord again, had gone after pagan gods and idols and other things. And so God judged Israel and sent them into crisis. And they cried out to God, and this time it took about 40 years before their cries of repentance moved upon God. And he called upon this unknown woman and her husband Manoah and told them that they would have a child and that child would be Israel's deliverance from the Philistines. God gave Samson as a judge to deliver Israel from God's enemies. And it's interesting that he would be a judge from the tribe of Dan, which name Dan means to judge. His father, again, was named Manoah. We don't know his mother's name. And they lived in the town of Zorah. Very humble people. Very much to themselves. It's the only time we ever hear of them. But we hear of their son, Samson, a great deal, even to today. The angel of the Lord, and we believe this to be the pre-incarnate Christ because of the conversation that had taken place. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said that her son would be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Now, as an aside, a Nazarite is not the same thing as a Nazarene. Sometimes people get those two things confused. A Nazarite is not the same thing as a Nazarene. A Nazarene is someone who's from Nazareth, a town that's not mentioned in the Old Testament anywhere. But a Nazarite was someone who took a special vow before God 
and was consecrated or dedicated to God for a specific service, oftentimes during a specific period of time. Numbers chapter 6 outlines what a Nazarite was to Israel in the Old Testament. And there are three basic qualifications that went along with being a Nazarite. Number one, they had to abstain from all grape products. They could not drink wine. They couldn't even drink grape juice. They were not permitted to eat grapes. They were not permitted to even eat the skin of the grape or the seed of the grape. They could have nothing to do with grapes at all. Number two, they were not permitted to cut their hair. Uh, During the time of their service to the Lord, as they honored that vow, they were not permitted to shave their head or even to trim their hair. Number three, they were to stay away from dead bodies. They uh, were not permitted to go near a dead animal or a dead human. They were to stay away from dead bodies. Jesus was a Nazarene being raised in the town of Nazareth, but he was not a Nazarite. He did wear long hair, but he did drink wine, and he even turned water into wine. And, of course, in the carrying out of his ministry, he did touch dead bodies from time to time, specifically raising the dead. Judges chapter 14, turn with me over one chapter, and let's look at a few verses here. We skip quite a number of years between chapter 13 and chapter 14. Samson is now an adult. He goes down to Timnah, saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. There's some real depth in Samson, you see. You know, I want this Philistine woman because she's a looker. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at the same time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a kid though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. She must have been beautiful, because that's twice that the writer mentions uh, how this woman looked. We don't have her name, but we know she looked good. 
When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. Makes you hungry for lunch, doesn't it? Yes. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. And it came about, when they, had, uh, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Lesson number one. God can use godless men to accomplish godly plans. God can use godless men to accomplish godly plans. Samson was a Nazarite, but he didn't honor the Nazarite vow. He ate wild honey from the carcass of a dead lion. He married a Philistine woman, which was against God's law and was against the protests of his parents. He engaged in the wedding feast for a number of days. And even though the Bible doesn't say that Samson drank the wine, it certainly would be a stretch of one's imagination to think that he refused to engage in the revelry of his guests at the wedding feast. He posed a riddle to 30 of uh, the guests at the wedding feast, challenged them to solve the riddle and promised them 30 changes of clothes if they answered the riddle correctly. Samson's wife gave them the answer and in his rage he killed 30 Philistines and gave their possessions to those 30 men. Then in a huff he left the party and went on home. A little bit later on, Samson returned to his wife's father's house to claim her, but she was gone. Samson's father-in-law said, I thought you were angry, thought you were um, so disturbed in your heart and in your mind that you didn't want my daughter to be your wife anymore, so I gave her to your groomsman. I gave her to your friend. That didn't set well with Samson. And in his rage and out of revenge, he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs, fixed a torch to each pair, lit the torch, and set the foxes loose in the wheat fields 
of the Philistines, ruining their harvest. In retaliation, the Philistines found their way to his wife's father's home, and she was there. They burned the house down with her father and her inside. Again, in his rage, Samson viciously and mercilessly slaughtered the group of men who killed his wife and father-in-law. Some would say that that was heroism. Standing up for your family. Taking charge of the situation. I don't think so. Some women would say that was very romantic. That he loved his wife so much that he avenged her death. I don't think so. I think this was typical of Samson at this time in his life. He was impulsive. He was strong-willed. And he was certainly out of control. He could not control his anger. You can be angry and sin not, Scripture says. But this anger that Samson demonstrated was anger out of control. He was in a rage. And that rage motivated him to be vengeful. And in his actions, he sinned. He sinned. Now, while it's true that the Spirit of God gave Samson his strength to do these things, and while it's true that God called Samson to be the avenger of the Israelites from the Philistines, it's also true that his lifestyle and his methods were out of character for one who would be the servant of God. You can avenge the people of God, and we have a number of individuals uh, in Scripture who do avenge the people of God, but not in a blind rage, and not with uh, merciless slaughter in mind. Uh, the words here uh, that are used in the text means that he, or literally means that he struck their thigh. And the idea behind this, it's a Hebraism, behind this it means that he showed no mercy. It's like in a lot of gangster movies you find today where the individual wants uh, the victim to suffer before he's killed and so he starts at his foot and he shoots his foot, then he shoots his knee, then he shoots his thigh, so on and so forth. This is what Samson was engaged in. He did not just out and out kill these men. He made them suffer. He tortured them to death. Samson willingly went into situations that led into sin. Not because he wasn't to avenge again the people of God, but because uh, he allowed his emotions to get out of control and to take charge of the situation, not listening to the Holy Spirit as he would guide Samson, 
but only listening to his own passions, listening to his own bloodlust, that he would slaughter and show no mercy in the killing. He did these things to seek his own glory. But the Lord used Samson to accomplish his purposes for Israel. Sin, sin, though abhorrent to God, will not prevent God's sovereign will from being accomplished. God can use godless men to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Lesson two. Sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Moses said to the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, you can be sure that your sins will find you out. God spoke through Hosea in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7 by saying they sow to the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. My mother used to say, long after the wound has healed, scars will remain. There are consequences to our failures. There are consequences to our sins. God can forgive and God will forgive. But dear friends, all too often the consequences remain. After... His bloodlust and revenge had been satisfied. Samson went down into Judean territory to hide out and to rest for a while. And you find the account here in, in uh, Judges chapter 14 and chapter 15. While he was there hiding out, the Philistines secretly followed him because they again wanted vengeance and they wanted to capture him and they wanted, to pay, wanted him to pay for his crimes against the Philistines. Well, some of the Judean uh, men saw the camp of the Philistines and went down to the camp and asked them what they were doing in Judean territory. And they told these Judean men that they were there to try to capture Samson. 3,000 of these men went to where Samson was hiding out and they confronted Samson asking why he had brought the enemy, why he had brought the Philistines to their land. Look at chapter 15 and verse 11. This gives us the attitude of Samson. Then, then 3,000 men, chapter 15 and verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. See, this is a personal thing. This is vengeance. This is not giving glory to God. This is not honoring God's call in Samson's life. Even though he would slay the Philistines, which was God's plan to begin with, the motive was wrong, which makes it a sinful act. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And God will hold you accountable 
for that. As they did to me, so I've done to them. Revenge was his answer. An eye for an eye was his answer. They would not have that in their territory. And so Samson allowed them to tie him up and to deliver him to the Philistines. But as Samson faced the Philistines, the Spirit of God came upon Samson again. His strength was renewed and he broke the ropes like twine. He picked up the jawbone of a dead donkey and he slaughtered 1,000 of the Philistines that very day. And what's more, as an insight to the attitude of Samson in all of this, after he had spent this time killing all of these Philistines, he became thirsty, as the text tells us, and he arrogantly commanded God to satisfy his thirst. Look at it in chapter 15. Verses 15 and following, found the jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out, took it, killed a thousand men. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And it came about when he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, named the place Ramath Lehi. He became very thirsty, called out to the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance by the hand of thy servant, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? It was a question, but it was given sarcastically. I have done this for you, Lord, and I have slain your enemies, Lord, and I have become thirsty in the effort to rid you of these enemies. But I am thirsty, Lord. What are you going to do about that? God answered, split the rock. Water gushed out. Samson's thirst was satisfied. Later on, Samson goes down to Gaza and he hires a prostitute for the night. The Gazites learned that Samson was in town so they set a trap. They were going to ambush him. But Samson was wise to what they were going to do, what they had plotted to do. And at midnight he gets up. And he sneaks out of the room, leaving his lady behind. And he sneaks through the town till he comes to the gates, which are barricaded. Samson grabs a hold of the gates, rips the gates and the posts that hold the gates out of the ground, carries the gates and the posts all the way up to a nearby hill that faces Hebron. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, he does it because he can. He did it to intimidate. He did it because of ego. He did it because of grandstanding. He wanted the people of the town to know that they can't mess with him. In Judges chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. She's a Philistine woman. So Samson 
doesn't learn from his mistakes in the past. He repeats his mistakes. He falls in love with another woman that's forbidden. But this time he doesn't marry her. He is content to be her boy toy for a while. But he doesn't realize that Delilah is a genuine Matahari. She was easily swayed by the elders of the city and by their money they offered her three years wages to trick Samson into telling them the secret of his strength. You know the story. Samson toys around with Delilah telling her that his strength would leave, first of all, if he were tied with seven fresh green willow vines. But of course that didn't work. So she asks again, and still playing this game with her, he tells her that his strength would leave if he were tied with brand new ropes that had never been used. So she tries that on him, and again it didn't work. She was upset. And she cries to him, Why don't you tell me the secret to your strength? Still playing the game, Samson told her his strength would leave if she were to weave his hair in her loom, weave his hair into a web or to, into a mat like a hair rug, because he had long hair, weave his hair into a mat and nail it to the wall. And so while he was asleep, she did. She pulled the loom over to where he was sleeping, took seven locks of his hair and began to weave it in the loom and made a mat, a hair mat out of it and nailed it to the wall. She cried out, the Philistines are here. He wakes up. His strength is still with him. It didn't work. This is not the attitude. And these are not the actions of a true servant of God. Samson was playing games with God. Samson was playing games with Delilah. He was playing games with the Philistines, but sadly, he was playing games with himself. It's true that the Philistines were the enemy of God, and it's true that the Philistines were the enemy of Samson, but it's also true that Samson was his own worst enemy. He was his own worst enemy. He flaunted God's gift of strength in order to impress, to intimidate, and to intrigue people. Not to honor the Lord God who gave the gift, but to bring glory and honor to himself. That same sin is committed again and again and again today by preachers and teachers and musicians and leaders and a whole host of others inside the church and outside the church whom God has gifted with special abilities to accomplish His will and His purpose. Does God hold us accountable 
Yes, he does. You can be sure that your sins will find you out. You sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. Sin always has its consequences. Well, Delilah wasn't satisfied, so she nagged and nagged and nagged Samson to tell her the secret of his strength. Samson grew tired of this game with Delilah and gave her the secret to his strength, which was not really, listen, was not really the secret to his strength. His power didn't rest in his hair. It rested in the vow that he had made with God as a Nazarite. When his vow was ultimately and finally broken, God released Samson to the consequences of his sin. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's a book that um, very seldom is acknowledged in Scripture. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This, of course, was written by Solomon, son of King David. Guard your steps, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God... Do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. God takes our promises to him seriously. He takes our promises to him seriously. Better to not make a promise to God than to make the promise and not Keep it. Nowadays, making promises is no big deal, and breaking promises is no big deal. It's almost like it's expected. There are people in high leadership positions who make promises all the time and never keep their promises. But God holds an individual accountable for the promise that he makes to the Lord. My algebra teacher in seventh grade, Miss Inez Neal, she was a very fine Christian woman, but she, she pulled no punches with us. Even in algebra class, she would give us a Bible lesson every now and again. And one of her favorite stories was the story of Samson. And she concluded... The bottom line to the Samson situation is that when you sin, God will hold you accountable. He will give you just enough rope to hang yourself with. And that seems to be the case with Samson and also with a lot of other people. Delilah shaved Samson's head, cried out the Philistines were here. Samson got up, his strength was gone. 
His vow to God was broken. They captured him. They bound him in ropes. And they hauled him off to their capital city. It was the last straw with God. God was not going to allow Samson to play games with him anymore. Let me tell you something. God is loving and compassionate. Would you agree with that? God is loving and compassionate toward us. He is generous and he is faithful toward us. God is patient with us. But dear friends, God's patience runs out if we continue on in unconfessed and unrepentant sin. We can push God to the edge of His patience when we play games with God, when we willfully sin against God with an unrepentant heart. You only have to go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 to hear again from the Apostle Paul that God loses His patience with people who continue to sin unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Samson's continual willful disobedience had reached an end. He had grown arrogant in his strength to the point that he felt he didn't need God anymore. He could take care of things himself. The Philistines took him to their capital city. They put him in bronze chains, which at that time was the strongest metal known. They had a way of tempering bronze to make it strong as steel. And so they put him in these bronze chains, set him to work grinding grain in prison. Sin always has its consequences. Look at Judges 16, verses 23. Judges 16, verses 23 and following. Now the, lords of the Philist- now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hands, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped 
The two middle pillars on which the house rested braced himself against them, the one with his right hand, the other with his left. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Lesson three. Even when we fail, even when we fail, God will hear and answer our prayer if we repent of our sin and turn back to him. This is an otherwise deathbed confession, an act of repentance at the moment of his death. Are such confessions, are such acts of repentance valid? Absolutely. Samson is a prime example of that. God renewed his strength and he brought the house down upon the enemies of the Lord. Sadly, a lot of people don't turn back to God when they're down and out. Cain didn't after he killed his brother Abel. Solomon did after living a life of sin and debauchery. Judas Iscariot didn't after he betrayed Jesus into the hands of the elders of Israel. But Peter did after denying Jesus three times. God is our Father. And like all loving, honorable, and responsible fathers, he punishes his children when they sin against him. Not because he can, but because he must. It's to our benefit that we are corrected when we rebel against God. God hates it when we sin, but God is merciful when we repent of our sins. The Philistines thought they had defeated Samson. The elders of Gaza assembled for their last meal. He prayed. God answered his prayer. And he slew more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. Samson was and is an enigma. He's a contradiction in character. After all that he did for himself and all that he failed to do for God, he is still called a man of faith in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. But Samson was also a man of the flesh. And we cannot ignore that point. His life serves as a warning to all of us who think that we can play games with God, we can play games with sin, and win. His life shows us how important it is to rely upon God's strength and not upon our own strength. To follow God's will and not to follow our own will. And to seek the Lord's wisdom and not our own foolish whims. Let's stand together.
David will come and we will sing a fellowship song together and then be dismissed. And as we prepare to leave, may we go into this new week with an attitude before the Lord to live for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.